Welcome to What The If News. News breaking all around. Yeah, it's getting kind of messy. We've got to sweep up all the news as it breaks. Yes, we have to sweep up old news. Oh my goodness, the music the music is just out. We're out. Let's go. Let's go. Here we go. What's happening? Things are happening. There's more news breaking than um, goblets at a Jewish wedding. Oh, nice. Yeah, yes. well done. That's yeah, good. thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. But um, we are here. We are. I am Philip Shane, documentary filmmaker. And uh, we are here with Gabby Panicia, virologist from Rockefeller University. How are you, Gabby? I am, you know, it's 50-50. I'm really happy. But then I looked at the numbers this morning and I was like, ah, ah things are still on fire. But it's okay. I feel a little <laughs> right. bit better. I feel, I feel a little bit better at the state of people coming to put it out. Right. Gabby, continuing the tradition of scientists being buzzkill. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, God, you're so right. <laughs> uh, but I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm that way, too. Uh, also here... The opposite of buzzkill. Professors are the opposite of buzzkill. Mm, I don't know about that. I've killed a lot of buzzes in my time. <laughs> I was going to say, is... you might be too far removed from academia. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's been a while. Uh, Professor Matthew Stanley of the New York University. How are you, sir? Historian of science? Historian of science. That's right. It is uh, and, uh, a thrilling Monday morning to get going on some history of science. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Um, and, uh, so here we go. We got, a, we just got a bunch of, usually we, what we do is every week, uh, every Monday morning, we, uh, uh, take a story out of the news. One of the things that seems to be sometimes not even the leading story, sometimes a little bit of a, yeah, something you know, that other people might've overlooked. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit back in the pack. And, uh, Gabby, uh, uses her great, um, wisdom and knowledge to, to help us understand a little bit more about the news story, but so many things are happening all at once. First of all, um, uh, I'm going to say congratulations to the United States for getting back on a pro-science path. Whoa! Oh my God! Pro-global, uh, pro-climate aware path. <laughs> Re-entering the, the uh, Paris Climate um, Accord and all kinds of other things. So uh, I, I think that's very exciting. It was very exciting. Um, but all kinds of stuff still blowing up. Unfortunately, this, uh, you know, um, Mr. Biden and Ms. Harris are going to have a lot on their plate. Uh, Start with the good news. So Pfizer's, this is from the New York Times, Pfizer's early data shows vaccine is more than 90% effective. And Gabby, this is a vaccine, uh, a trial that you are participating in. So we'll get a little bit more about that in a second. Let me just, I'm just going to read a snippet here from the uh, article. Um, Pfizer announced positive early results from its corona vaccine trial, cementing the lead in a frenzied global race that has unfolded at record-breaking speed. Um, oh, and this is from uh, the uh, there are three reporters, uh, three on the byline here: Katie Thomas, David Gellis, and Carl Zimmer. Oh, nice. we, uh, we've had Carl, Carl on the show. Let's see if we can get him back. The drug maker Pfizer. Announced on Monday, that's today, that an early analysis of its corona vaccine trial suggested the vaccine was robustly effective in preventing COVID-19, a promising development as the world has waited anxiously for any positive news about a pandemic that has killed more than 1.2 million people. 
Pfizer, which developed the vaccine with the German drug maker BioNTech, uh, released only sparse details from a clinical trial uh, based on the first formal review of the data by an outside panel of experts. So I think, Matt, you were asking why. Why today? Um, the company said the analysis found the vaccine was more than 90% effective. And Gabby's going to help us understand what does that mean? In preventing the disease among trial volunteers, one of whom sure. is sitting right here, who had no evidence of prior coronavirus infection. If the results hold up, that level of protection would put it on par with highly effective childhood vaccines for diseases such as measles and no serious safety concerns have been observed, the company said. So, Gabby, what do you think? Yeah, so, I mean, first I have to do my obligatory science wet blanket of, you know, this is not peer-reviewed yet. This is Pfizer themselves putting out a, a news release. Mm -hmm. uh, but if this holds up, that's actually, that's really good. Uh, what, what this might mean is, um, so for one, trials are still ongoing. There are still people in various stages of it. So, for example... Um, I have had my second vaccine, but I haven't had my second blood draw, which the second blood draw is, I think, the one that really they look for antibodies in. The first uh, one is to validate that I don't, or at least the way I would do it. I don't right. quite know if they explicitly tell you what it is, but my assumption based on what I would do is the first one is to test whether or not you have any pre-existed COVID-19 antibodies, meaning that you were infected at some point, even if you didn't know. Right. Because um, they do make you say, were you infected with COVID-19? And you could just not know. Um, and then the second one, after both of your vac your vaccinations, which are spaced about like a month apart, um, then that's when they draw your blood again. And I'm pretty sure they're running that to test and see whether or not you have any antibodies from the vaccine. Right. So the right. data that they have now is from people who enrolled probably pretty early. I was definitely towards one of the late ones. Um, so these are people that, you know, their blood has already been drawn. They've been tracking them for, you know, weeks or months now. And it would seem as though of the cohort that got the actual vaccine, 90% of them have not gotten coronavirus subsequently. That's, I think, how I'm, I'm interpreting this. I don't know if they are taking the antibodies isolated from people and then testing them and maybe see if they're seeing if they're neutralizing to the coronavirus or anything like mm -hmm. that. Um, and, and that will come out in the peer review, like what other tests they're running on, uh, like serum that they're isolating from people. But this is pretty good. I mean, if it's actually a 90% effective vaccine, we can, we can really stop this. I, I think I had talked a lot earlier in um, the, I don't know, history of the podcast that we've been doing this uh, about- you, uh, What the if.com, if you want to go, or on, yeah. right there on your app, go back to earlier episodes, yeah. Yeah, and, and earlier episodes are such an interesting time capsule of what we knew back then. And yeah, one of the yeah. things that I, I talked about in one of the episodes, I think about herd immunity, was that there's a mathematical term called R0, which has to do with the reproductive rate of the virus. And viruses with extremely high reproductive rates, meaning they spread on average to 10, people, 10 other people from one initial infected person, those viruses, you need so much more protective immunity in the population in order to stop them from spreading. I think the R0 for this one means that you need about 75 or 80% of the population having antibodies against it oh, wow. to essentially oh, stop it. So if the, vi the vaccine is 90% effective, that seems like it would cover it. Yeah. I remember uh, not that long ago, maybe a couple months ago, I remember um, 
Dr. Fauci saying he uh, certainly hoping for, you know, as effective as possible, but that he would settle for 50 percent. Yeah. Um, not that that would be enough to stop it, but that that, that would be a significant uh, change. Yeah. This would yeah. be a way. Now, you mentioned, interestingly, uh, not peer reviewed um, and that it came from Pfizer, but it says an outside panel reviewed it. So how does that in the process of things? How does how, I think that definitely that boosts its validity that it's mm-hmm. not just Pfizer you know, running their own analyses and being like, eh, drop this one dude who didn't really have a good response to it or, or something like that. Like, this is an independent group looking over the data. And I suppose that's to some extent a proxy for peer review. Mm. But mm. I, I really put in the trust of the scientists who later when they do a formal write-up and it's all the data, uh, who really look through it and interpret it in every possible way. Yeah. And basically, you know, put their, their stamp of approval on it. Because admittedly, some of this, you know, the immunology stuff at some points goes over my head. I've never run a clinical trial. Um, and while I kind of know how they work, it doesn't necessarily mean I know exactly how to supervise all of that statistical analysis. So having people look over this who actually know how to do that, that's, I'd be like, all right, I, I trust them if, if it passes that, that muster. Right on. And uh, move on to the next story. But here it's just a little bit, just just to end on this. Uh, the end of the article it says why distribution of Pfizer's vaccine uh, would be a logistical challenge because it is made with mRNA. The doses will be need will need to be kept at ultra cold temperatures. While right. Pfizer has developed a special cooler to transport the vaccine. Uh, I look forward to buying that down at the uh, the uh, along with your beer. Uh, equipped with GPS-enabled thermal sensors. It remains unclear where people will receive the shots and what role the government will play in distribution. Adding to the challenge, people will need to return three weeks later for a second dose to complete the immunization. Hmm. Um, There's a lot at stake for humanity. That's kind of a crazy thing to hear. Yeah, you you don't see things that are ripped straight from the Marvel comic books <laughs> in the news that often. So, all right, stay tuned for that. Um, moving on. Uh, we have actually, there are two stories. And actually, these are the ones that we were, you know, originally going to do before that sort of breaking news about the uh, Pfizer thing happened. Uh, a, a pair of articles, uh, not related, but but two news stories that kind of had some similarities. Uh, from the Times, again, the New York Times, children, uh, here's the headline, children produce weaker coronavirus Antibodies, study finds, the research suggests that children clear the infection much faster than adults and may help explain why many children don't become seriously ill. I'll just do a tiny piece of this. Um, the reporter's name, the byline is uh, by Apoorva Mandavili. Mandavili. Um, children infected with the coronavirus produce weaker antibodies and fewer types of them than adults do suggesting they clear their infection much faster, according to a new study published on Thursday. Other studies have suggested that an overly strong immune response may be to blame in people who get severely ill or die from COVID-19. A weaker immune response in children may paradoxically, and that's the, this whole thing is the paradoxical nature of this, this whole story is interesting, so a weaker immune response in children may paradoxically indicate that they vanquished the virus before it has had a chance to wreak havoc on the body and may help explain why children are mostly spared the severe symptoms of COVID 
the disease caused by the coronavirus. It may also show why they are less likely to spread the virus to others. Quote, they may be infectious for a shorter time, unquote, said Donna Farber, an immunologist at Columbia University in New York who led the study reported in the journal Nature Immunology. All right, so, so Gabby, I need help understanding this. Why, why is a weaker immune response better for clearing the virus? Yeah, so you can kind of consider this a little analogous to your oven temperature. You don't want to crank it to 700 because you're going to just burn everything. And that is what's... My wife, my wife tells me that all the time. Yeah, you know, it seems... I want it done fast. Yeah, if, if I can cook this at 350 for 10 minutes, I should be able to cook it at 700 for five minutes. Exactly. Unfortunately, cooking doesn't work that way, nor does the human body. And ramping up a crazy immune response doesn't necessarily mean you're going to clear the virus faster. And in fact, the thing that we've noticed really consistently throughout this is that people struggle with their immune response being overkill. And that's when you see um, the sort of like flooding in the lungs. I forget exactly, like like lymph draining into the lungs, I think is what it is. Um, don't quote me on that. So apologies if there's anyone, there's a doctor listening. He's like, that's not what it is. Sorry. Apologies to um, the lymph, the lymphs, yeah. lymph, lymph drains. For, for uh, degrading them. Um, <laughs> But it's kind of interesting that, you know, there seems to be a sweet spot for immune reaction that is really able to shut down the virus. And it seems to be a relatively low bar, but what people, you know, it's, it's a low bar that might not be able to be met by the elderly or people with um, immune suppressive conditions, which is why we've been consistently protecting them throughout this. But it's a bar that some of us may hurdle a little bit too hard and then wind up in the hospital with all these immune complications. So it seems like children, because they have a lower immune response, are able to sort of meet that threshold, but then not go crazy. But the craziness can happen later, and that's the multisystem inflammatory disorder in children. When they don't shut that oven off and it's been running for you know, an extra week, and then there's a house fire, and it's a problem. Actually, I, I thought of another analogy that might, uh, it's helpful to me. Uh, a, it's like a flamethrower. <laughs> so you have a flamethrower that can kill the virus. Uh, and a little, little, little bit of that might work, you know, just like a little more like at hairdryer level. Yeah. Well, or maybe that's too low, right? If hairdryer level of the flamethrower is not so good. Uh, Bunsen burner level. Maybe that's yeah, the right amount. Bunsen burner is a good one. Whereas full on Elon Musk, uh, full blast flamethrower, bad way to fight. Yeah, it's the not going to go Musk well. Known for his flamethrowers? He sells flamethrowers on Amazon. I yes, he did does. not know that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's how he pays for. You know, if they get the free shipping? <laughs> <laughs> Asking we for should, a friend. We check that out. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put an affiliate link on our website. We'll get a piece of that. Um, yeah, apparently that's true. Another analogy would be uh, to go to the other one of the other famous ancient elements, uh, water. Uh, so if a fire uh, firemen pull up to a fire and they have a fire hose and they turn on the water, if it just comes out a little bit, like... A slow amount that your cat could drink from, you're not going to put out the fire. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you put it on so hard that it knocks over the entire house too much. Yeah. 
So it's a Goldilocks. Yeah, there is a Goldilocks situation. system with this immune response. Yeah. Did so that help really you, interesting. Matt? So does that yeah. suggest that at least in, in some cases, like immunosuppressive drugs might be helpful for treating COVID? Yeah. So we're actually treating uh, some people who are hospitalized and are starting to show evidence of what we call a cytokine storm, which mm-hmm. is essentially their body overreacting and producing way more signals and freaking out. Um, they, we, we shut that down. And that's really helping people because a lot of what they're experiencing is, you know, their own body overreacting and killing them, which, you know, the virus is at that point secondary to the fact that their, their own body is, is really uh, subverting their ability to generate an effective response there. So yeah, we are, we are treating them with immunosuppressive drugs, which is, it's also, again, sounds counterintuitive, but it's, it's really interesting just how, you know, much the medicine has advanced over this, because this is not something we knew in the beginning. And way, way, way back in the beginning, I was definitely one of the people who was like, oh, this doesn't seem like it's, I mean, granted, of course, it's a pandemic, but it's not as bad as it could be, because, you know, it mm-hmm. seems to be limited to the elderly. So we protect the elderly and, and that's it. And then all of the stuff about cytokine storms started coming out. And then that's really where it was like, oh man, this is oof. Yeah. Matt, what is that? Just a quick question about what does that say about evolution? That, uh, I mean, I, I don't know, my oh, one takeaways is, is a reminder it, it that evolution that is not perfect. Is a, it says that our immune system is a work in progress. Ah, uh, uh-huh. It's, it's yeah. fantastically complicated. Uh, and it turns out that uh, it's it's good enough to have survival value and keep lots of people alive. Um, but every now and then we get, you know, allergies, for instance, right? It's allergies is our uh, immune system misfiring. Um, mm-hmm. So the system uh, does enough good to help keep humans alive at the cost of occasionally freaking out. Yeah, although interestingly, too, at another sort of more meta level, it's kind of like evolution basically runs its own trials. Yes. But it doesn't have good safety protocols. Um, well, it has you, no safety protocols. That's right. There's no safety. Right. And, and it might be that in a way what evolution, but, but what's happening is that um, a totally new, so it's completely unknown uh, enemy shows up. And so uh, in, if you look at it across the entire spectrum of, you know, uh, of the species, it's like, you know what, some people are going are gonna to get, uh, you're going to get the full range of, of that fire hose. Mm-hmm. Someone, like this one person's going to go, you know, evolution on them is just through random chance is going to go freak out super high power and that's going to be too much. A lot of people are going to have too little, most people. But eventually over the course of evolution, if we were just animals and had no control over everything, it would actually work itself out. Right. Yeah, so right. uh, that's not much um, comfort to the the people who died in the trials, as it were. Um, but, uh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's it's right. in um, cool. scientific okay. so now, lingo, um, we call this a selective pressure. Yeah, selective pressure. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yes. Um, just hit the other story here. It's another. What I like about both these is we're sort of getting into the details of how the body deals with COVID. Uh, this is from Time Magazine. Uh, scientists have uncovered the likely cause of a serious COVID-19 symptom, blood clotting. Uh, this is by Alice Park in Time Magazine. One of, the mo- one of the more surprising symptoms of COVID-19 
has been the blood clots that many patients, including younger ones, have experienced with the infection. The clots have in some cases led to dangerous blockages in the lungs. Interesting. I I hear blood clot, I think, like heart attack kind of thing. Uh, Blockages in the lungs uh, also cause strokes and even death, even in people without a history of circulatory conditions. In a paper published in Science earlier this week, researchers provided a glimpse into what may be driving the clots triggered by the COVID-19 infection. The group found that a specific set of antibodies, known as autoantibodies, which are rogue versions of cells meant to defend the body from pathogens, but instead attack its own cells, in this case, the body's own blood vessel cells, may be be partly responsible for the clotting risk associated with the disease. Among 172 patients hospitalized with COVID-19, they found that half produced these autoantibodies. In addition, when the scientists injected the autoantibodies into lab mice, the animals developed blood clots. So another story about runaway immune system basically the the immune system the immune uh, uh systems version of like runaway vigilantes yeah kind of yeah rogue mm-hmm. rogue well they could even say it rogue uh rogue police or something turning on their own so um what's the what's the deal here Gabby? yeah so this is this is really interesting um i when I first heard that blood clotting was a, uh, you know, associated with this, it was very, uh, like tangential. It was just people's stories, and it wasn't really backed up yet by any studies. So I was skeptical. But you know, it really has been a thing that people are reporting. And of course, at first, it seemed weird. Like, why is this virus causing blood clots? But like most of this. It's not necessarily the virus, it's the body short-circuiting and freaking out. Hmm. And so what's happening is that over the course of an immune response, there's a lot of inflammation. And inflammation can be good in, you know, targeting or, you know, clearing out the virus. It's essentially what the body does is it's sort of um, denying the virus access to stuff. So it's like, no, I'm going to blow this up first before you can get to use it, which is Uh. a little terrifying. This is like... You know, your body sometimes destroying its own cells because it realizes that they're infected. And as a result, you get a lot of debris floating around. I mean, your body is now a battlefield. There's a lot of other stuff. And in the course of trying to clean that up, it might accidentally recognize some stuff that's self, some stuff that's you, some stuff that's good. And that's where these autoantibodies come in. And so uh, these autoantibodies seem to recognize uh, neutrophil or are implicated with um, these things called neutrophil extracellular traps, or NETs, which I think is a really great acronym, um, where, you know, this previous group had shown that in areas where you see blood clots, you see a lot of neutrophils, which are these immune cells, really just aggregated in there. Um, And then it seems like those are responding to uh, these autoantibodies. And so it's this feedback loop uh, that is just jamming up uh, arteries. so both it's, of these things are your own, in other words, what you're saying is your own immune system has m- different kinds of forces 
different kinds of types of defense oh, yeah. mechanisms attacking each other. Accidentally, in this case, each yeah. other. Yeah, the like wires. The Keystone got, Cops. Uh, I mean, the wires got crossed. Maybe their uniforms are muddy. They couldn't recognize that they were right. from the same side. Right, right, right. It's friendly fire. Yeah, yeah, it's friendly fire. It's it is immune system friendly fire. Matt, what does that say yeah. about evolution? That just seems like now it's now it's just getting ri <laughs> ridiculous. You, you cannot trust evolution to be nice to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also, you know, you never I mean, know. I mean, one of the things that this this points to is um, uh, the time scale of evolution. Right, evolution takes long periods of time <laughs> to figure out how to deal with, say, a new pathogen. Um, and the immune system is pretty cool in terms of adaptation. Um, but uh, the, the time scale on which we want relief from something, you know, days, months, years, is really different than the time scale that evolution works on, which is at its fastest, thousands of years. Um, and it has, you know, evolution doesn't have to worry about publication and getting tenure uh, <laughs> or losing certification. Um, so Although evolution gets, a, I mean, probably very, does very well in the citation count. People mention it. Uh, people mention it quite a bit. That's right. That would yeah. be an interesting. Just publicity. Just gets good publicity. Yeah. yeah. On the high on the Google count, hit mm -hmm. count for the word evolution. Um, so, bottom line is for science, for the scientists, Gabby, it seems like a lesson for us is that most of us think of just, oh, there's a virus. We need a vaccine. We need just to, it's it's us versus the virus, and that's the whole thing. But in fact, you uh, there's still a lot to learn. We we don't even know our own. We don't even know the battlefield. We know it tremendously well, thanks to you know, for instance, Rockefeller and and um, the head of your lab having won a Nobel Prize and all the Nobel prizes <laughs> there and everywhere a tremendous amount. But we really don't. It, it, it's more like um, scientists, doctors, uh, and medical researchers are kind of playing one of those strategy games. It's not like we're actually in there doing something, mm -hmm. right? It's almost like, well, you have these, you kind of just have, you're the general of an army, but you don't really understand them. Yeah. And, you know, just a relatively simple input, i.e., a virus can yeah. lead to a vastly complicated output that doesn't necessarily seem, you know, intuitive. But fortunately, through studies like this, we can really start to flesh out good treatment me like methods. Like from this, what people what they're proposing is develop a test for these autoantibodies, which I think should already exist because they appear in other uh, conditions, and then give patients blood thinners. So if you see that this person has the potential to start developing really extensive blood clotting, you give them an anti-blood clotting agent and yeah. then they should be, you know, fine. And so this coupled with, you know, immune suppressing drugs in people who are having a cytokine storm are, are really helping to increase our ability to save people from uh, both the virus and their own immune system going haywire as a result of the virus. Fascinating. I just really, you know, here, here's my analogy is totally inaccurate, but in a way I feel like I can see doctors being, um, instead of on the field playing soccer or football as is known outside the U.S., uh, 
and that's the game. So it's doctors on one side versus the virus. You know, the virus is the other team and you're kicking the ball. It's not like that. It's more like doctors are playing foosball and having to turn all the little knobs, you know, and the players bounce around and that doesn't that doesn't seem to register with either of you, but boy, is my <laughs> my brain is alive with understanding. Both knowledge of sports and knowledge of, I guess, sports related table games sort of just sail over my head. So Well me too. <laughs> That's probably why you should, should never pass up an opportunity to reference foosball. Foosball does not get a lot of attention. Yeah. 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 Um well, thank you. So uh uh Gabby, you you uh, what's the next step in your uh your membership, your participation in the <laughs> Pfizer trial. You mentioned there's a, a, like, is there a calendar you know something is coming or or is it sort of like you have to wait for them to call you? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, they tell me at the end of the next visit what time they need me back by next. Um, uh, so How often do you go? First three visits are spaced about three weeks apart. Um, and then I think after that, it's, I think it's like three months from now or something like that. I'll, I'll, uh-huh. I'll double check and get back to you. Because, I mean, right. fortunately, they do tell me and we do schedule the next appointment. Uh, but I go back on the 19th of November, and that's when they, they take my blood and assumably are going to figure out if I have antibodies, which it's going to be weird if I'm placebo and have antibodies because that meant I got COVID somewhere <laughs> uh-uh. in there. Uh-uh. <laughs> but uh, I don't know what I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I love this this cliff. This is an ongoing cliffhanger mm-hmm. uh, in our story. Um, Matt, anything you'd like to plug? Anything coming up? Uh, no, not for a little while. All right. Uh, where where are the students? And in, 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 is it uh, final exams coming up? Um, no, we're kind of in between midterms and final exams. So they are um, ah. right now. They are killing time until Thanksgiving break. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, at least you know time is something we can kill. Uh, Tom, <laughs> viruses. I'd rather see instead of the you know on TV. There's now the death count of how many people have died from Corona on the screen all the time, at least on the cable news. I'd rather just see numbers of you know amount of time that's been killed. That sounds good. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. Um, uh, next week, very exciting. Next Monday, we have a special guest, Howard Zhang, who is our uh, uh, former staff member, that's now right. uh, emeritus. Uh, uh, went to China for a couple months and um, came back. And so he's going to tell us what his experience was. He said it was very interesting, obviously seeing a completely different yeah, system. Yeah, cross experience of COVID. Yeah, and how, how they're addressing, how they're dealing with uh, lockdown, et cetera. So that'll be interesting. Gabby, is there one, what, what, what one question that just leaps to mind that you would want to ask someone? Oh, I, I would just be really interested to see what, you know, the extent of testing, how often like people get tested. Um, and then also, you know, what point at which they shut back down. Because a lot of other places, they uh, reach a certain, you know, percent positive right. tests and they just, they mm-hmm. close everything back up. So I'm, I'm very interested what that looks like. Or, or even just, you know, you go into a store, what does that look like? Because a lot of right. other places have temp- automatic temperature sensors. Sen- uh, sensors. Yeah. Yeah, right on, right on. So um, all of you listening, please, you know, Howard will be on next Monday. Uh, so write us your, any questions you want to ask. 
Howard about uh, the experience uh, of how things are going in China. Uh, or for Gabby, if this, what are stories you're reading, questions you have, uh, concerns you have, suggestions, anything like that, uh, write us. Uh, so again, Howard will be on next Monday. So the sooner you send in your questions, the better. I'll put them up, uh, put them up at the top of the list for, for that show. And uh, by the way, when the mailbag, I just, you know, I have special music for the mailbag. So just to encourage you to write in, keep those cards and letters coming, folks. We love hearing from you. This has been a a special multi-story, multi-breaking news episode of What The If News. Go to whattheif.com to subscribe and find all our messages. You can subscribe also using your podcast app right now. And please leave us a review. Review the show. Let people know about it. And just tell people anyway. Just tell people. From six feet away or more, shout it out. What The If. Um, we'll be back on Friday with our feature presentation of the week where we do an incredible thought experiment and usually the universe um suffers badly but uh it's all for fun it's all for science it's all good is that right Matt? that's right yes Come join us for our destruction (laughs) right on everyone all right uh we will see you next time 